Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson, and welcome to the Elevate Podcast. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a healer and holistic mental performance specialist for elite performers. Her company, Meta Athletes, offers consulting and training for elite athletes, executives, and pro-level coaches. Her skill set is unique as she is the only mental performance coach with profound healing abilities. She's a thought leader in the field of holistic player development and created holistic sports medicine. She works with elite NCAA, WNBA, NBA, NFL, and MLB athletes, staff, and coaches. She is also a partner with Turn to Equity Partners. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Laura Wild. Thanks for having me. So glad to finally get to talk. So for thanks sure. for-, <laughs> for sure. I think, uh, yeah, Graham Betchard had pointed me to you a long time ago and, um, yeah, excited to finally catch up, but it's cause you're busy working with amazing people doing amazing things. And so honored to have you join us. Um, I know one of the things that when you just look at your profile that jumps out, I wanted to talk about was, healer and holistic mental performance specialist. And I think we often see mental performance and holistic performance. Why is healing first and why is it so important? Well, uh, so the way I see, the way I came to this work is through my healing practice. So if we want to really truly excel in mental performance, then it's really important that we actually have this underlying, you know, healing happening. So if we have lack of confidence or lack of resilience, or we can't recover from a mistake, it's probably in our subconscious, which means it's in our body. So it's great to talk about it, but that's only gonna be a temporary fix. So healing is a long-term permanent fix. Love it. I love say it. that boldly. Yeah, boldly, boldly. Yeah, and I think- People can come at me on that. That's okay, I'll prove, I'll prove that point every day. <laughs> no, and I think when I was kind of just thinking about it, I was like, yeah, I think you're, you know, there's always, maybe something we're constantly healing from, you know, it might not be, it could be different size and scope, but um, we all go through things and yeah. got to he- be healed from those. So um, love that about you. You were, I saw the book back there, MetaHuman and your company, MetaAthlete. So I wanted you to tell us a little bit about what is a meta athlete and uh, give us a little definition around that. Well, so I met Deepak Chopra uh, September, like, like, I don't know, in late September in 2001, right after September 11th. Okay. So from then I became a big fan because he, I speak his language, right? I, I would say he doesn't speak mine, I speak his. He created the language and I jumped into it. So he actually is the first person to come up with quantum biology, which is this theory that you're not a bag of bones, muscles and tendons and, you know, veins and stuff. It's like, no, you are a container of all your experiences that happened to be kind of built around the structure of bones and tendons and muscles. So then when he came out with meta athlete, I had actually been playing with the idea of super athlete or sorry, he said meta human. And I had been th- thinking about how to call people, you know, something better than just athlete. So it was like, Oh, super athlete or awakened athlete. And I always say conscious athlete, 
But when he said meta human, I realized that meta athlete makes more sense because what we've done is in society, and this is long before uh, Zuckerberg was talking meta. Right, like, right, yeah, yeah. I got I got proof in my Google Docs. Like I got a a, a timestamp. Uh, I think 2015 when I first started playing it around with the word. Um, and I think people just kind of understand it. And if they don't understand it, they think they do. So to me, a meta athlete is someone who actually can tap into quantum physics and wants to go beyond, you know, the mundane and be, you know, I want to pull outside of my mind. I want to play beyond what I thought yeah. and not everyone can. Right. So, yeah. so meta athletes yeah. can. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, I, I think one of those things I go, you know, just, uh, I hear those big words, you know, sometimes they're a little intimidating, right? Like, how do I, <laughs> how do I become this quantum person? Um, uh, how do you kind of maybe uh, reduce that barrier for people looking to kind of become a, a meta athlete or a better performer? Yeah, uh, you're right. Because the barrier, I feel like I actually create it bigger than it was sometimes when I talk, when I don't talk in the language that people understand, right? Just because I've been trained here doesn't make me better than someone. It doesn't make me smarter than someone. So I want to make sure everyone has a chance to play in the space. And so I use things like, you know, the word belief systems. Um, you know, people love to say mind, body healing, and people seem to understand that these days. So, you know, one of my goals is just to explain what it looks like. So your free throws will be better <laughs> as opposed to we can balance the epigenetic markers in your kidneys to go back, you know, six generations to figure out what's going on. No, you can make more free throws. And that's, I think the language athletes understand, Hey, do you want to win more? Do you want to win with peace, ease, and grace? Would you want to, do you want to, you know, feel like you're not running with your arms and legs, but you're running, you know, by channeling the energy, or do you want to tap into what it might feel like to play from your cosmic body instead of your physical body? And I think one of the things that one of my new concepts that I've been like sharing is that we can use our local talent, right? So my arms and my legs, that's me. I'm that's local Laura, right? Local Laura is pretty good at basketball back in the day. However, if I could tap into non-local talent, then I get to tap into the blueprint of excellence that's carried by, you know, the Jordans and the, now I got to say, you know, Jamal Murray's and the Jokic's and the Jimmy Butler's of the world. Like there's a blueprint of excellence that's, you know, accessible to all of us if we just do the inner work. And so the local talent mixed with non-local talent makes me even better. And so when I talk like that, athletes go, oh, that's, I get that, you know, yeah. there's an energy field of excellence and I can tap into that as yeah. opposed to trying to explain how it works, right? Yeah. And you you are humble because you were a two-sport NCAA athlete, right? Yeah. Um, not uh two-sport high school. We see that, but at the college level, um, and then you went on to coach as well um what initially made you make that uh desire to make the transition from athlete into coaching yeah so i i was actually so my the coach i had was a real old school coach my senior year of college we got a new athletic director and i would watch him watch our practices and my nickname was vanilla so i would look up in the stands and the athletic director would be watching and he would kind of go like this because i'd get screamed at I'd get cussed at and screamed at because I was like the hard-headed but hardworking team leader and I could handle it. So my coach would let me have it. Yeah. And at the end of the season, the athletic director said, um, why don't you come back and be our assistant coach? So then that was just so he could fire the head coach but have someone in place. So gotcha. the issue with loyalty. However, I was actually also going to graduate school for sports broadcasting, but there was no face, no woman for me to look to. I was like, man, do I want 
the first woman to get a lead spot at the desk on ESPN yeah. or Sports Center, which was pretty new at that point in time. It just seemed like such an uphill battle. And at that point, you know, two years after college, I had a, a, a one-year-old. So I decided to go into coaching. I took the easy route. I went to coaching. <laughs> e easy route. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was, it, I don't know. Looking back, I don't know if it was the easy route. But, you know, I was doing 5.30 a.m. radio spots, local Dallas radio. And that felt like a haul, man. Like, it was like an hour drive. I'd wake up at 3 in the morning just to be on the radio and do sports broadcasting. Yeah. And I feel like in coaching – I knew my connections were there and I could kind of elevate that career pretty quickly uh, instead of being the one who had to get coffee for, you know, Scott Van Pelt or whatever his name is. <laughs> right. um, and then I guess from, you know, being the, the collegiate coach, what was, was it the 2001 kind of Deepak meeting or what kind of was the transition into the, the work that you do now coaching yeah. athletes and working? Well, I decided to go to law school because coaching got, I don't know, boring or something, you know, I was like, man, these 19 year olds do not do what I want them to. <laughs> so, <laughs> I still don't, but it's okay. I don't care anymore. I've gotten to Zen space, right? I don't try to control others. Right. So I, I was coaching and I went to law school and after law school, I thought, you know, I meant to be on the basketball court. So Ken Starr was the Dean of our law school at Pepperdine. Remember the guy? Like, yeah, yeah he's yeah, mixed up like, the highest levels. So he actually was at a game and he saw me on the bench and I got a, a notice, please come see Ken Starr. So I went and talked to him and he's like, uh, you can't coach basketball and go to law school. We can't allow it. It's not, it's, you can't do both. Make a choice. So I happily chose basketball and went back to coaching. And from there, I realized that not understanding how to help athletes heal quickly was, you know, cause it's, it's, it feels like a toss up when you're a coach and you don't understand holistic healing, you think it's luck of the draw. Once you jump over the fence and you get to the space where I operate from this understanding of holistic healing, I realize that accidents are not just up for chance. It's not, oh man, we can't control that. Nothing we can do about that. Those are the languages I hear and the things people say now, but that's simply not true. We actually can control. We can have a healthy team if we take some steps. And if we start using, you know, something, not just allopathic medicine, but we blend quantum medicine, which is now you know, it's not even a question of whether it works or not at this point in time. It's been proven time and time again that things like our epigenetic markers or our DNA matters, right? Like our ancestors' trauma matters. You know, how I think matters when it comes to my health and my healing. And so, you know, intuition matters. So I blended all that and decided to bring it back, but not with on the court coaching, but just the mental performance aspect blended with healing. I love that. If, explain the quantum medicine a little bit to those that yeah. maybe their first time hearing that. I'm like, what? what's yeah. that? You never yeah. heard of quantum my, medicine. My doctor has not prescribed that yet. What is yeah. that? Sim it down. It's easy, right? It's not, it sounds complicated. So really the, the idea behind, you know, the theories I've been studying at least are that we all have five bodies, right? This is like ancient history, ancient uh, theory. So we have five bodies. We have a physical body, an emotional body, a mental body, and then a supramental body, and then a cosmic. So five bodies, right? Physical, uh, physical, emotional, mental, supramental, and cosmic. So those bodies are always operating and communicating. So my physical body may want to heal, but my emotions, my fears aren't letting it. And so in quantum medicine, we don't just look at the physical body. We actually look and see what the emotional trigger is. What kind of fear sadness, worry, anger, or grief are this person carrying? You know, what kind of thoughts are in the way of them understanding that they deserve to be healthy? 
And so then if you let the physical body be more in touch with that cosmic body, that cosmic level of us, healing happens really quickly. It can happen like in an instant, overnight, spontaneously. And so spontaneous healings up until the last, you know, decade or two, maybe a little bit longer, but, you know, spontaneous healings are always written off as a pure act of God. Perhaps that's possible. Perhaps that is true, right? Maybe everything like is an act of God, every healing. And if we can understand that a spontaneous healing can be created by us, whether it's a knee, you know, an ankle or some other disease, right? And I think we can take more control of our health and healing. And so quantum medicine kind of says, hey, you're in the driver's seat. You're not a victim to this. You don't just randomly get a cold. If you look back, you can find the trigger. You don't just randomly twist your ankle. Just because you stepped on a guy's foot, that's not, you don't twist your ankle every time. Something was going on there. And it's interesting when the athletes go, oh my gosh, you're right. This did happen. You know, my, my mom had this happen to her. And then I went to practice that day and that was the day I hurt my ankle or whatever it is. Right. So the connection is really important to see. That's good. Cause I guess when I don't feel well, I'm always looking for the thing. I'm like, when was the day that I was run down? I didn't eat well. When was that? And that's, that's why this is now. Right. Exactly. Uh, And so, you know, I'm not too much into, so it's always like, all right, what is, and can I avoid that by doing other behaviors? Right. Um, (laughs) It's right. It's right. You gotta. Yeah. And so I can see why athletes trust you because you make these very, what seems complicated, you know, palatable and understandable. And I think I'm sure the next part of your work is making it practical. Um, but when it comes to developing trust, um, in a room about a week ago with third base coach for the giants. Um, and he joked about how he had dinner during his coaching time, you know, when he coached young kids, you know, if you're wearing the same Jordan hat as the fourth grader, you got him right. We're cool. We're good. Um, (laughs) walking into a pro locker room, a clubhouse takes a lot, a little bit more, um, to, to get that trust. And like you said, I think it's high level athletes. It's how can I make more free throws? How are you going to help me? How is this, going to help my career um coaches and and athletes at different levels that listen to this what are some ways that you go about trying to develop trust so that you can hopefully have the impact you want as a coach yeah i would say one thing i do is i'm really um I, i really bring myself i mean you know i bring my authentic self and people tap into that oh i i don't know why i like you but i do well because i'm pretty vulnerable right and as you know graham betchart always says Victory goes to the vulnerable. Right. That's right. Right. So I have my sneaker game is on fleek, first of all. <laughs> um, second of all, one thing, you know, what's interesting, when I got hired by the LA Clippers, they said, you, we're, there's no pressure for you to work on anyone right away. You don't have to work with people right now. Or, or, you just be present, be here. And so I just kind of sat. And, you know, you can't just sit and observe because then you're staring at people. So I'm kind of mind my business. <laughs> I would be available, be around. They'd see me, you know, and I'd usually be reading a book because, I was like, wow, I need to learn more stuff. I always am trying to learn more. I'm very curious. So getting the athletes, you know, to be, to trust is, I think it's, you know, Hey, there's going to be meditation this week. Um, If you want to go, you don't have to, but if you want to, and I think becoming someone they see regularly. And, you know, to me, it was always like, how do I, so here's what I told people. I'd say, you know, after I worked with the guy, I'd say during the game if or practice, if you look over and you see me and I'm looking at you intently, all I'm doing is I'm thinking of how incredible you are and just how much potential you have. So just know that that's all I'm doing. I'm holding this space for you to be great. So if you catch me looking at you, that's all I'm thinking. 
And so my job is to hold the space for you to be your absolute greatest that you can be because I see your potential maybe more than you do. And so I think by, you know, and I, I would rename, like I call the guys to this day in my phone, their nicknames are, you know, so-and-so NBA all-star NBA champion. And so I show them that, look, like this is what I'm holding space for. Cause I believe this is possible. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm one of those people who I think every single human on this planet you know, is could go to the moon, could write 10 novels and could be the best actor or athlete on the planet. And so I think by being that way, it helps, you know, people feel my goofiness, you know? I mean, hearing you say that, I just like running through my mind was just how sports and so many other just people's experiences through sports would be different if they knew that when their parents or their coach or someone was staring at them or watching them intently, that that's what they felt. Yeah, I just kind of had this like vibration go through me, like, you know, because I think um, I had a teacher that did something similar when I was a young child and uh, it it had a great dynamic in that space. But um, I I know some of the other things you talk about um, and looking at your website that I wanted to talk about real quick was um, and you just kind of talked about the trust, being consistent, being there. Um, I think that's great. But then I know you also focus on resilience and adaptability. what are some ways that, you know, low hanging fruit that maybe people could develop a little bit greater resilience or adaptability or right. mental agility? Right. Well, uh, one of the things, one of the concepts I've kind of been uh, every week, I'll have like this, I don't know, a concept kind of shows up in my head. So this week, interesting, you ask that this week, it's all about, you know, self-awareness helps us have self-confidence because once you have an awareness, I would say, you know, you don't need to know who you are. As so much as you need to know whose you are. So if you can find yourself feeling fully connected and in a space of oneness, knowing that, you know, you are safe, like your soul is always safe. When you start to feel that way, then, you know, a bad pass isn't such a big deal. It's like, well, I know whose I am. Like, I think the idea is to go beyond the small things we do in our lives and to think bigger and to recognize you have this huge purpose, right? So I once heard um, this guy say, you know, when two couple, when a couple is together in a relationship, if they have a huge purpose, like, hey, together, we come together to change the world because we are going to eliminate single use plastic bottles or whatever it would be. We're going to, you know, we're going to cure the world from uh, pollution. Then if one of them sees a sock on the floor of the others, they don't get mad and go, oh my God, I can't believe you left a sock. They don't get divorced over small things because they go, well, the greater purpose is to save the planet's oceans. And so I think with athletes, I want them to understand what's your big purpose. You know, like if you have this big purpose, not just like winning the championship, what does that mean to you? When you win the championship, because you became this inner peace athlete, you allow sports to up level. And from there, one little mistake isn't a big deal. You can bounce back because you keep on your purpose. Your pathway is so much greater than a single point or even a single game or even a single season, right? So as you keep getting better and more self-aware, you recognize that it's like a pothole, right? Like a new driver might, oh my God, a pothole, but an experienced driver just drive, oh, it's a pothole, that's cool. Well, the road's smooth again. And so I think recognizing that even when that mistake happens, even when I make that bad pass, the second I think about it, I'm in the past because then the game's already over here. It's moved on, I gotta keep up. And I think Graham Graham says it well, he says, next play speed, what's next? Because, you know, in every second, if we dwell, we're in the past. And so helping people stay present and be 
present with, you know, through meditation, through mantras and affirmations and, you know, recognizing that they're really here for the experience, right? Like this is an experience for you. This is a journey, not just a game. Yeah. Well, you brought up Graham. I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book and I've tapped Graham to hopefully make some cool audio to go, go with it. But yeah. Yeah. Um, one of those, those topics uh, in the book is, is alignment. And um, I was going, you know, as I've been waiting to have you on the podcast, I see your Instagram, right? So I know one of the things uh, way back when I was peeking at it was uh, there's a little visual that you had and it said alignment over grit. Ah, yes. Uh, and I know this is a little while ago, but I wanted to bring up that idea because I think it reminded me of, of kind of the process in some of my book. But um, yeah, for me it, in the book, you know, it starts with your self-belief that who's, who's the are. <laughs> um, and then, you know, are the alignment from there into other things, but talk about this alignment greater than grit. Cause I like yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, so I've gotten to know Stephen Kotler a little bit, the author of stealing fire and the art of impossible. So Stephen Kotler talks about the flow state, which he talks about it in a very scientific way because Stephen Kotler is a very scientifically minded guy, right? He loves that science stuff. And so I'm like, I, I do the woo-woo of the zone. And woo-woo was equally important to science, right? Woo-woo is actually the new science. I, that's just how I see it. I don't see how that can be un, unsaid or yeah, argued yeah. with, right? So um, so the way I look at grit is, and I don't think grit's bad. I think grit's great, right? Grit is great. Next post, right? So we have to take action and have the grit when things get rough. However, as we elevate, right, as we meditate, as we find more inner peace, as we get what I would say, you know, mind body healing sessions so that I don't show up in the world with my wearing my belief systems of fear, sadness, worry, anger, grief, right? As I get work, do inner work, those things fade away, which is why I say that meditation can be a complete mental performance practice. If you just meditated every day for the next 14 days and did nothing else, you would start to change and your face would change. Your Every, like everything would change. Your brain would change. You could get, you know, minimize some of the ADHD and the stress and anxiety. So when you do that, right? So, sorry, I'm going on this tirade. So go. You, as you elevate, as you become more self-aware, you are, I would say, privy to higher levels of laws of the universe. And so then I might have to have a lot of grit right now, but as I align and grow and grow more, the grit is less painful, right? I don't like suffering is optional. Pain's going to happen, but suffering is optional. And so now alignment is a higher principle than grit because alignment is where you go, wow, look, everything just showing up in my life in a beautiful way versus I have to go chase it down. So one of the things that I was sort of hanging out in clubhouse, like in 2020, uh, people would say, Hey guys, chase your dreams. And I'm like, and I would say, you know, maybe, maybe it would come off as arrogance, but it really was supposed to be kind of reminding them of the spiritual of who they are, whose they are, who do you belong to? It's that. I don't chase my dreams. I align with them. And so to me, aligning with them just means like I see myself as, you know, a, a highly precious being, right? I have found a way to love myself after years, I would say of not having very much self-esteem, you know, and thinking badly and having bad thoughts. But as I've learned to notice my thoughts and quieting them through meditation or observing them, which is the key to meditation, I feel like I'm, you know, I get to see more laws of the universe. And so alignment works at this point for me, better than grit. Grit is great. Like I said, it sometimes, but if you can, if you can keep meditating and get to an even higher space, it doesn't have to be all about the grind. You know, it can be about being aligned. Yeah. And I think that's how 
yeah, I think I've seen alignment is that it, when you live in alignment, it, it answers questions. It gives you purpose. It reminds you of intentions and, yeah. and things like that, where sometimes it just, yeah, it, to grit through something just to do it, like we could do it, but does it align with our purpose and our bigger goals and our, and, and sometimes that kind of detour is, is, is difficult to, to come back from because we put so much energy into that wasted, wasted time. Um, so I'm glad. I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, what are you going to say? Go ahead. Well, okay. So the other day I was in my house and I had this huge box that got delivered. I forgot what was, even, what was even in it, but it was it delivered in Georgia, not California. So styrofoam, I think is illegal in California or something. So I took the thing out. I forgot what it was. Oh, like some paintings. I had paintings shipped to myself. Okay. I pulled them out and accidentally knocked over this huge box of cellophane, little tiny things, like maybe 3000 of them were all over the floor. And I was like, dang. And I I thought about that for a second. I was like, this is going to take some damn grit. That's all it's going to take. And it's, they're too big for the vacuum. So I had to basically pick them up one by one. They didn't really sweep well, but there was this moment of like, okay, if I just start here, even if I did one at a time, I would eventually be finished. So I had to like mental performance coach myself to just get started, just pick up one and then two and then 10. But that to me is a place where there are some things where you need grit, but you know, becoming a world champion, you know, it's not all about grit. It's going to be some grit, but it's also going to be some alignment and including, you know, how to stay healthy, mind healthy, how to bring the right teammates onto your team, how to have the right coach, the right staff. And I think that's where alignment works, right? Where grit might be, I'm going to need to do these 50 reps. So I think we can save grit for when it's absolutely necessary, right? And we have to grind it up, but then it's our attitude, right? So can't be like, oh, I hate these reps. Maybe you do hate this rep, but maybe today or for 24 hours, you love bicep curls just for 24 hours. Love them. That's what happens, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. Um, that was one of the other thing about, I had noted here about how important reps are. And I think when we get into the physical training space, right, our athletes and coaches, we whether it's going through the plays or reps in the weight room, we, we understand the importance of reps. Can you talk about why reps when it comes to mental performance, maybe it is just meditation, but finding ways to get your reps is so important right. and how it can really leverage those mm -hmm. physical reps and that we're yeah. going to put ourselves through. Well, I would say one thing is, um, you know, when you do a mental rep, your physical body does benefit and we can create some muscle memory. So, and I, I have a thing I talk about called superhuman mental reps. So you can, you, you can use, to me, superhuman mental reps means you step away from visualization and you step into imagination. And so that is superhuman mental rep for me. Okay. It's dunking the ball or it's, you know, shooting from half court. Cause I really can't do those. I can't dunk. And from half court, I'm not going to make that many of them, right? I can make some, but not regularly. And so I use my imagination for superhuman mental reps. And what I coach people to is I say, Hey, why don't you practice having a 1 million point game? And so in a 1 million point game, you start, you know, as you, you know, have this big, huge idea, your left logical brain is exhausted by this idea, like a million points. That's just not possible. But if I said, Hey, let me have a 100 point game. There could be a lot of fighting going on between my little voice and my head. Oh yeah, that's not possible. But at a million points, like you know, logic brain is out the door. It's like, bye, yeah. I'm done with this, whatever craziness is going on. And then you use the mental reps, which I think is really helpful to create uh, this muscle, muscle memory, right? But superhuman mental reps are important because imagination is how we create anything we want to really have in our lives. And so start to 
starting to imagine is going to create bigger things. And I guess one other thing about reps and mental reps are, you know, if I, if I can use mental reps um, while I'm on the plane, I may not be able to be in the gym. And so I think it's important to use them and to recognize the power. And if we were to measure my body and I mentally uh, shoot free throws, then my body would actually have these muscles that would be moving. And it's really important, right, to see something in our visual cortex, to to visualize it and see it happening a lot of times so that when we get there, it's not quite so daunting. We're going to make it happen. And I, I heard Huberman say, um, you know, the, the Huberman podcast, he yeah. said, yeah, he said, it's not, it, it's not necessarily true that uh, we can create a memory by doing something or that our subconscious mind will create a memory. And I was like, maybe not, but our spirit will certainly have a level of confidence and our our confidence will rise with mental reps because we will think we've accomplished something. So right. there may be some discernment, but if I can think I accomplished something then and I can have the confidence for it, my physiology will shift my brain, right? It's great to say our mind, it controls the body, but our body does also control the mind. Like if I put my hands up in the air, oh my God, I'm amazing. And, you know, and someone says, well, how do I be confident? To start right now, you put your shoulders back, you put your, your, your spine straight and you don't dip your head. So you keep your chin straight. And there's a lot of um, studies on that, that when you walk into a room, if your chin is elevated, people think you're more important. And I was working with a baseball, I still am, but a major league baseball pitcher. And he would have a mediocre inning or a bad inning and he would walk off the field. And I saw him on TV. I said, hey, I, I need you as a pitcher, whether you're doing well or not, to lead your team. And even if you just really like, you know, you're terrible, as you walk off the field, I want to see that chin up. Because that is how you lead your warriors into the rest of the battle more, you know, more uh, powerfully. And so we started doing that. He's like, and then he'll say like, oh, did you see me after the sixth inning? I had my chin down. Like, you know, so he, he's, at least he had the awareness of it. And so chin up, chin, when you're walking into a room, this is a key. Every time you walk into a room to walk that way. That's why I put my phone down when I walk into the room. So I'm present. My chin's up. My posture is great and it will show confidence. And from that, people will take that I'm confident and then I can keep growing in confidence. So whether you can practice it or not, you can do it in your brain first, create something powerful there and now you're more confident. So we Yeah, it's free. I'm just giving out free interview tips too. So you can just go dominate your next interview if you're an athlete listening, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. um, so you also founded uh, Champs. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I did change the name. So now it's called, yeah, it's called the, well, there's two names. It was called the Mental Performance Coaches Association. Okay. And then after we did the legal documents, I was like, no, let's call it the Mental Performance Coaches Alliance. Got so it. that's great. It's um, yeah. So I, I'm, it's a different energy, right? Alliance. We're all together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about enhancing, you know, mental performance about, it's about bringing everyone together in the mental performance space, including athletes whose experience is by being from being an athlete, not necessarily being a psychologist, because there's different levels to this and there's different energies to this. And I want everyone to have a space at the table. And I also want to make sure there's a nice carved out space for mental performance coaches who are not coming from the PhD psychology side, because athletes relate really well to that, that kind of person, right? Ex-athlete, mental performance specialist, maybe not a trained psychologist, but can offer a lot of good to, you know, there's a guy I know who's an ex pro player over in Europe. 
he really works well with these division one college guys. They relate to him. The relatability is yeah. the most important thing because if you're not relatable, they're not going to talk to you. So it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not relatable. doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. And then on top of that, which I've kind of kept it secret, but why not share it here? Um, the cosmic arena. So I have an app launching this weekend All right. called the cosmic arena. It'll be mental performance. It'll be a game coach for all high school and college athletes. And so I'm making the price. I decided to make it 11 bucks a year for high school kids. So, you know, mental performance coaching is so inaccessible to so many young athletes. Yeah. You know, one of my things is like, you know, having the responsibility in the platform of the NBA helps me understand that some of these kids who come into G League and don't really make it, if they had just had a mental game coach when they were sophomore, junior, eighth grade, whatever it is, right? Because yeah. not every kid has LeBron, you know, entourage around them as they come up. Sure. Sometimes, right, they're just barely making it to college, but they're so good and determined. But if they can add mental game coaching, then they're going to be so much better than they ever realized they could be. So sure. I'm working on it at all levels. So basically, you know, mental game coaching for athletes. Um, and each, each every, you know, few weeks, I'll have a new phase. I'm bringing in like, you know, G League and rookies and stuff like that. Awesome. But to me, that's going to be like my, that's like my legacy gift to the world, right? Live mental game coaching for all athletes because it, it is the absolute difference maker. I mean, yeah. you know that. It's, yeah. I mean, that was part of this uh, goals of this podcast. And I think just to have one, have great people on you to like yourself to come share, but, um, you know, make things access accessible and people yeah. to learn from other people. Cause I think I've spent some time in the college space and, uh, those ones that are on staffs in college are overwhelmed with, with the need yeah. and um, to the point where it's a lot of times there's not a um, resources to do the work. It's always, you know, after a problem or some trauma or something like that. And so uh, to just raise the awareness and of mental training and all these things is one of my biggest goals for this podcast and bringing on amazing people like you that are much smarter than me to help deliver some of those things as well. And like Graham and so many others, I was going to ask you, you're at university of Dallas. Did you know, Matt Gron? I think I do know Matt. Uh, maybe he's, or he's just maybe in the alumni newsletter, but I know that name. Well, what did he do there? He played. Uh, he was an assistant coach, and I think he might be the head coach back there now. Um, yeah, that's so. probably how I've yeah, that's probably how I've heard of him, like alumni stuff. Yeah, so it yeah, good. small little world of basketball, right? <laughs> yeah, great guy. Um, but yeah, I was wondering. I was like, I wonder if they cross paths. But um, as we kind of wrap up, one thing I you know, all your quantum medicine and all these things we talked about, um, down to the app that you're launching and, and the great athletes you work with. Um, in your work, what, what brings you the most joy? Seeing, uh, for me, when I see someone do something that they weren't sure they could do and like have like, you know, the, that full crazy out-of-body experience of being in the zone. And so seeing people go beyond what they thought their potential was, that's when I, that's when I know that they now have the skill, like the transference. I don't make you great. I don't even help you be great. I just remind you how great you are with the mirror. You go do it. And so when I see someone do that and recognize all this power they have within them, I'd say that's the greatest joy. That's the best feeling ever. I love it. And if uh, if I could give you a, a magic wand to change something about sports in America um, to make it improve, mm -hmm. what, what would you do with that magic wand? Well, I would use the magic wand 
I would say, to help athletes realize that whatever they do can literally change the entire planet's energy fields. So I would, I think, wave the wand to help all athletes recognize that they can be, you know, servant leaders and conscious athletes and that sports consciousness will change the world. And so some people who play sports at a high level don't understand this potential huge honor and opportunity and platform they have to really change the world. And so I think sports in that way are better than religion. They bring people together. So you can be like a Jets fan and be black or white or poor or rich and you're, you got unity there. But everything else, we tend as humans, we seem to find our little um, spaces. We stay in this lane over here. We go on that lane over there. But, you know, sports is such a beautiful metaphor for life that if the athletes playing it could just have this magic wand waved over them to go, oh, as I become more conscious in my play, I can change the world. That's what I would use it for. I love it. And I guess you brought up, uh, I'm here in Denver, so we're we're still celebrating our <laughs> our first ever NBA championship. Hey, yeah, um, yeah, you know, we're excited. Um, Reggie but, uh, Jackson is on the Clippers with, with me. So it's it? fun to watch, you know, well, someone was, uh, part of my family get the championship. Heck yeah. When well, he went to high school here in Colorado. Um, and so, which I just learned, he was actually born in Italy. Yeah, he's, I forgot why, but he's, he's got a very interesting background, but there's always been something different about him. He also talks about meditation. I've seen him in interviews. He loves meditation. He understands. And when you watch Reggie Jackson play, he's got that sports consciousness. Like even the way he shoots, you know, some, like he just has this loft that he just, he lofts the ball through the air. And when it goes in, it's so sweet. He didn't get a lot of playing time. So you may not have noticed, but if you've ever seen him as a clipper, you're like, oh man, cause he started for the Clippers. So yeah. You know, so there's a lot special to him you know yeah he's like a, he's a hometown hero here in colorado yeah. for sure so excited <laughs> to celebrate him but as you kind of saw that team um you've you know seen a lot of professional basketball um were, were there any kind of things that kind of that made this team special that you kind of observed um yeah. that made it made it unique and made him maybe you know get to that <laughs> cosmic play a little bit better than maybe they yeah. individually all are yeah, one thing about them is I loved how they really, you know, recognized that the way they came together would matter so much for the long term, right? Being the family and not worrying about who did what. And it seems like they didn't care who got the credit. I mean, even with, right, Joker passing the ball as well as he does. He doesn't need all the points. He just wants to win. And, you know, Aaron Gordon worked with Graham Betchart for a long time since, yeah. since you know, middle school or elementary school, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, Aaron, so you think about it. If Aaron Gordon's a guy who's learned how to meditate, because Aaron Gordon uh, is also part of Train the Mind, which I'm a co-founder of as well. Graham's idea, but you know I'm a co-founder. <laughs> um, so when you have a guy like Aaron Gordon on a team who's a meditator, that will raise the frequency of everyone on that team and in that organization. Add Reggie Miller, I mean, sorry, <laughs> Reggie Jackson, and now there's even more frequency. This is like an underlying invisible you know, sort of stuff in the ethers that moves through the team that people maybe not don't measure. I was measuring it all along. I was like, oh, there's, you know, I would, if I could bet money, which I just make sure I don't bet money because when you're involved in the NBA, you just shouldn't bet money, get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but if I could bet, I would have bet so quickly on the nuggets because even though Reggie Jackson didn't play a lot, just by having, you know, his internal understanding, like his knowing whose he is, right? Truly, with a meditation practice and Aaron Gordon being a guy who loves to meditate, who's really good at being present. You saw how well he played, right? So 
to me, knowing those two were part of that team that had such a powerful group of starters. And then the coach, Coach Malone, I met him at Summer League like three years ago. And he's like, what do you do for the Clippers? And I told him, he goes, oh, the mental game is 90%. The game is 90% mental. He said like three times in a row. And it's funny because like D Brown and Jason Kidd are both standing there. And I was like, see guys, like I need to be on the floor, on the floor. Like put me on the bench. So coach gets that. Yeah. That's a really powerful combination, you know, of guys like that who really all come together and understand that, you know, the whole is greater than the one. And so yeah. I, that's what I love about them. Yeah. Especially. One more question. I was part of a panel with some college coaches last week and then hearing you talk about Coach Malone. And I've just recently college and some pro coaches just more talkingly it's about the mental game it's about the people the person before the performance the relationship and it seems like that level of sports has kind of evolved away from the old machismo but a lot of youth <laughs> in high school sports um coaches i find still kind of struggle with whether yeah. it's the, the value of the mental game or building trust with kids um what would you say to maybe some of those younger sport coaches to try to involve um maybe some mental performance aspects um, yeah. or to open themselves up or, or where would you point them to maybe <laughs> learn from? Yeah. I mean, two things. One, I would have every, I would ask every coach to start the team off with two minutes of just presence. Don't even call it meditation. You guys are going to sit and close your eyes and just, you know, remember how happy you are in life because if every player can get on that same page, because breathing together actually creates a, you know, like a, a high frequency among a team, right? So maybe they could breathe together. Maybe they'd even learn to tap over their hearts, but simple stuff. And, you know, when someone makes a mistake, have that player. Cause you know, I do work with a few younger kids um, here and there and have that kid say, I'm okay. And tap over the heart, like teach kids to recover quickly. And if you let them have some stillness, you know, so many kids are coming from places where they have no control over their lives. Most of them, right? Most kids don't, but their lives are crazy or tumultuous or dangerous or scary. And to let them sit for two minutes and start to just let the thoughts fade away could be so powerful for kids and really help them have a whole better life. Because the mental performance a kid learns in sports, whether youth sports or at the highest level, is what will carry over into their lives. And I, I would say that the NBA is amazing. I love that they're talking about mental health, which is great, but mental performance and mental health are not the same thing. So mental performance is about winning and um, it's, a whole, it's mostly talk. If it's really that important, then do it more. Like no one in the NBA does enough mental performance training, not one team, yeah. even Denver that won. I'm sure if you looked at it, they probably do mental performance training, maybe one to 5%, maybe more. I don't really know what's going on, sure. but if we know the game is like 90% mental, then why don't we work on at least 10% mental practice? Yeah. And so I love the, I love the talk about it, but most of it sadly is just talk. People just don't practice what they preach. Yeah. Um, as far as like, Oh, it's really important that we have mental stuff. But yeah. But it's just an option. It's it's almost never mandatory. You know, some, some coaches have made it mandatory to go talk to this guy um, who works, you know, this person who works in mental, mental training or psychology, but I wish we could, put our, you know, really do what we say. It's so important. Okay. If it's so important, do it more. And so one day we'll get to that space. Mm -hmm.